Hello and welcome to Magic is Real. I'm Shannon Torrance. I'm your host. And today I have with me Virginia Drake in her beautiful winter sweater that I just think looks marvelous on her. Virginia Drake, also known as Ginny, has worked in the fields of education, social work, counseling, consulting, and motivational speaking for over 35 years. She holds a master's degree in education from Georgetown College, a teaching certificate from Eastern Kentucky University, and a BS degree in social work from Murray Kentucky University. In 1998, Virginia had a miraculous healing after a major heart attack and near-death experience. It was then that she became interested in the mind, body, and spirit connection and the impact these forces can have on one's health and relationship. She has devoted over 25 years to intensive study of meditation, natural healing, and quantum physics, and how the electromagnetic fields of the human body works in connection with the healing process. In addition to her private consulting business, Virginia also teaches workshops on developing strategies to promote a healthy and enriched life. Virginia also, at least last count, was a, a woman of nine lives. Is that still the current count? Yes. Okay, yes. Virginia has died nine times like a and come back like a cat. Yes. So thank you so much, Ginny, for being here today. I'm so happy to have you. Well, I'm glad that we got to talk and see each other because we were on the phone for almost two hours while you yes. were driving. And when you said winter sweater, I want to tell you, it is 15 degrees right here in Kentucky. The I just, weather is insane. Yeah, well, and it is because we don't normally do it that way, but my battery in my car is even dead because of all of this. Because I went out to, I have a you know remote that I can turn it on and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to call AAA and get it open because um, its battery is dead. It's gone. So well, that's this. Yeah, my, my guest that was supposed to be on last night, her what a snowstorm knocked out all her power. We couldn't go on with the with the interviews. So this is happening nationwide it's everywhere well and also <clears throat> there's a lot of energy that it's been hitting us since 2024 uh we were noticing that i mean like the first two or three i think days that came in on 2024 i had a whole thing of energy that just came down on me on doubt of myself oh me too yeah okay well that i'm telling you the sensitives were feeling it way before anybody else and I sat down and I thought, I've never, I haven't doubted myself in years and years and years. So I went back down and I said, why am I doubting? And it was strictly from energy flow. It wasn't about my thoughts. It was about the energy that dropped onto us because I called a lot of other sensitives mm -hmm. and they were having the same problem. Makes sense. I've been severely depressed. I don't get depressed. That's yeah. not a thing that I, I have. I have anxiety. Depression yes. does not visit my door very often. It is brutal. So, um, well, that is validating. Thank you for sharing that. So, well, yeah, go ahead. Say well, what you're well, with us being because yeah, I know you're sensitive. That's why yeah. I felt you on the phone. And that's what we need to do is raise the sensitives up because that's who's getting pushed down because we have an understanding of really how it really works. I mean, there is a working process that goes on. And if you don't understand it through the energy of it, you're never going to understand even the words are being stated because you're seeing words that you've been programmed to hear, but not understand, even though we're talking English. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is not, I've noticed that because I was an English teacher. 
And yeah. I started watching. And when I was working with clients, I realized what they were saying with one of their words, I would have to ask, what do you mean by that? Well, it'd be very simple, but I have to figure out what they're saying from the word they're using. Yeah. That's called babble. That's why we're not communicating well, because we're not really, we're not engaging in the energy of the word. We heard the flat word. And it's a whole different ballgame when you look past the energy of the word to finding out what the word really is. And then you've got to find the etymology of the word. And I did a lot of etymologies of words. Why do we have these words? And it makes, it opens up a world to all my students when I used to do etymologies of how the word really means, what it really does say. Because what you're saying is really not what you're feeling. That's what you're saying. It's really, it's a powerful time to really open yourself up to the truth. Right. Thank you it for works. sharing that. That's interesting. Yes. I would love to know, uh, we're going to, I want, you have so many insights and so many ideas. So we're just going to let whatever comes out, come out today. Um, but I would love to start by asking you a bit about yourself and what your background is, um, your spiritual journey, anywhere you'd like to start. I mean, you know, as a child, what did you have? A, a spiritual upbringing and that sort of thing up until your heart attack? I was raised as a Baptist at the beginning. Uh, my mom, my dad was a Methodist and my mother was a Baptist, but my father was really not into his, the church. Neither was my mother, but I was the one that had to go to church because I had to give the gifting or the uh, donation that we were giving because they, you're in a small town. Everybody went to church. My my family didn't, but I did. And I remember I would make a lot of questions with my my family about why are you all not going to church and I have to. You know, I knew then there was something not correct. And my mom, my dad's uh, family were very Christian and very Christian. And I remember when I used to work, you know, I'd go and visit my grandparents and I would talk about Jesus. And my grandmother asked me, how do you know Jesus when you don't go to church? And I said, I do go to church. She said, not our church, Methodist. And I thought, is there a different church? That's when I started seeing a lot of things that didn't feel correct for me. And I saw Jesus when I was a little girl. I saw him when I would go to church or go to Sunday school, he'd be standing there and they'd be talking about him. And I used to think, why are they not? Why don't they see you? And he said, they'll never see me. He said, until they really acknowledge who I really am. And I thought, okay, I didn't know anything different. I just, you know, I didn't tell anybody, but also, and that's what I've been run into. I also had demons in my closet on a regular basis that would come in with the red eyes and they would scare me because sensitive children are very much more wide open in their minds, you know, thoughts. And we see things from a whole different point of view. And I was terrified as a little girl these things would come into my closet. They would talk to me. I remember they would hold my hand. I was really sick one day, one night, and there was a hand and it was a reptilian hand that was very much holding my hand. And I, I would never tell anybody because my mother and father thought I was a little odd anyway, because I could do deja vu. I mean, we'd be going somewhere. I said, oh, I've been in this town before. I'm going to meet this girl that has a horse and I'm going to get kicked and I'm going to end up in the hospital. And my father and my mother would look at each other going, uh -huh. and it would happen. And that's when my mother finally said to my father, I'm like her. 
she's really mm -hmm. like me. My my mother never told anybody. She was too afraid of what the, what she had. And I don't I don't call what we have as gifts. I think we have natural abilities to everybody in the world, but we've been told that certain people have gifts. I didn't have a gift. I had an opportunity to learn how to use that. And I never did know how to use it until 1998 when I had my first heart attack that I remembered. See, before when I was born with my mother's seventh child, you know, I was a miscarriage in 1951. I drowned twice at 11 and 16. And then I had a, uh, I've had two strokes. I've had two heart attacks. I've had in 2019, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down and got into an MRI and came back because of the electricity and the magnetism in the MRI. So I've had all these different experiences and I've had out of body experiences all my life. So I didn't even know I can talk trees. I can talk to the grass. I can, I'm an animal. That's how I started out as an animal communicator. I worked with horses and dogs and cats. And then I realized I had other abilities. So people started calling me, especially if they lost things, because I'm a remote viewer as well. So I usually can remote view and find out what they, they're missing. Like not too long ago, I guess about seven or eight months ago, there was two dogs missing and a woman called me and I found the two dogs, you know, and I'm working with a woman in Spain right now with a cat that she can't find. So, but I'm teaching them as I do it, I'm teaching them what to be watching for to, you know, to remote it, to find out how to bring it in because I don't want people to be coming to me. I want them to find that within themselves. I want to empower people to get better and to heal because we're not just healers we're we give information for everybody to learn if we, everybody could do this we could raise the whole frequency of the world into a whole different state of mind and that's all i want to do and I that's agree. how i got into all of this is my heart attack in 1998 that i remembered because i was very much the week before that heart attack shannon what happened I was sitting in my uh, my den in my farm and I had 11 acres and I had horses. I had six dogs. I mean, I had a life. I had a life that I also was a teacher. I had two boys and, you know, we had a, a beautiful life. I had a pool in the backyard. I mean, we lived a very nice, nice car sitting. In, but I remember when 1998, when my heart attack hit, and I was pre-warned the week before, don't get a heart a transplant. And I was sitting in my den and this man came in on the TV and he said, don't get a heart transplant. Now, what he was talking about, he had oxygen on. He obviously had a heart transplant in 1998. So this was a lot different than what it is now. And he's given that, but he kept looking in the, you know, the TV going, don't get a heart transplant. And I thought, I mean, I thought, is he talking to me? For a while, he looked like he was talking to me. And I kept looking. There was nobody in there with him or me. And he looked at me for, you know, that one time he went, don't get a heart transplant. And I raised my hand. And I said, I am 46 years old. I am not going to get a heart transplant. I walk four miles a day. I do this. I work in the farm. I go to the community. I mean, I was a swimmer. I was, and the next week I'm looking at one. 
and wow. I refused it and walked out three days later completely healed. Wow. But I did have to have a stint. Uh, they told me after I had that stint, uh, they literally, they said, you know, if you don't get a heart transplant, you you have six months to live. And I remember thinking, if I've only got six months, that's a lot for me. So I just started calling people and telling them uh, I was sorry. I knew some, see, I knew a lot of things that I'd done against a lot of people and I did against myself. And people said, well, why would you call people? I said, because I knew that if I had six months to live, if that's what I have done, I don't want to go over there and have God look at me and say, you know, you're going to hell because of this. So I started clearing up my act for six, you know, thinking that I was, the, and I remember that opened my whole being of looking at things from a whole different point of view, because most of the people that I were asking about or telling them what I'd done, they didn't even remember it. See, this is where I try to explain to people with my private clients. I said, you know, you have, you already know what you've done. So you're feeling the guilt of what you've done within you. Now, some of the people you've done it to, I remember the woman, I got fired at one of my jobs because I worked for the government at one time and they called me in and I, and I had an ego girl. I'm going to tell you, I had a biggie. When the government calls you, they want you, you pretty are pretty important. And, and I was only 26 or 27 years old because I had an understanding that they didn't. So I was kind of, you know, edgy and I was egoish, but I now look back, that was all about my ego and what I'd done to somebody. Cause this girl, I ended up getting her fired because everybody thought she was wonderful. I remember, and I remember I walked into my boss and he said, she's such a good you know, worker and she's going on. I said, well, you're right, but, and you know how you can do a but. I just, and he went, but what do you mean? I said, oh, I, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you, and, you know, you like her and all. So what he did is she ended up within a week, she got fired. Now I didn't promote that. I created that. So I guess I did promote it in a way. And I mean, I felt so bad. But when I called her after my near-death experience with my heart attack, I called her and I, I said, you know, I did that. She said, first of all, I want you to thank, I want to thank you because the best thing you ever did is get me fired. <laughs> and I, I thought, so I didn't do so horribly that, I mean, but I still was felt guilty about it. And the same thing happened to me when I was probably about 14, 12, 13, 14, something like that. I was at my aunt's. This is why I'm trying to teach people how they do this. Because sometimes things that you feel are that's really, really bad, sometimes it does turn into good. But at the time, it's bad. And we were playing with the chemistry uh, set. And my aunt came out and said, you need to cut, you know, get all that glass, you know, because we, we, we broke a couple of beakers. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just, and I just shoved it into the yard. And she said, did you take care of that? And I said, yes, I did. You know, I lied. I lied. I know I lied because here comes my friend that I used to go see in Indiana with my aunt. Here she comes running down, you know, and she runs right into the grass and she cuts her. Oh, no. I mean, I think it was like about six or seven uh, stitches. But also, she was a cheerleader. So they were having a big conference. 
So she's not going to be able to cheer at the conference because she's cut her foot open. And I thought, Mike, and my aunt asked me, she said, um, did you take care of that? And I had to, you know, tell her the truth. She said, then you need to go over. Her name was uh, Melody. I think it was Melody. Melody or Melody. I think it was Melody. And uh, she said, you need to go up there and you need to tell her what you've done. I thought, oh my God, she's going to hate me. You know, I cried all the way up there. It was the most miserable moment of my life thinking to tell somebody that you had really created something that they never did get. They didn't even know how they, they got involved in it. And I lied. It was a whole lot of stuff going on in there. So I remember I went through the back door of her and her mother said she's in there and her foot's laid up, you know. And um, I walked in and I kind of got teary-eyed and I said, Melody, I am so sorry I created this. And she went, shh. And I thought, she said, I didn't want to do the cheerleader uh, conference. So she wasn't mad at me, but I thought, wow. Who would ever guess that she was putting on a, a thought against what she didn't want to do? I gave her the opportunity to not be there, but right. I was the one who felt so bad because I did wrong. I did not follow the rule of what my aunt had asked me to. See, this is what I try to explain people. Things can turn around and be upside down, but they can turn right back around because you don't know the other force that's being created with you. So there was two energies that were coming together that created an event that affected both of us, but it affected one better than the other because it made me really take a note of you've got to be very conscious of what you're putting out there all the time because you don't know how that's going to come in. And energy is a lot more than what people think. It's all in your mind. It's a consciousness. And I try to keep a very trigger on that to make sure that I'm not putting something out there against myself, against the world, against the God that I know and the people that I'm working with. Because you're constantly having to juggle to make sure you're in that balance of truth. And a lot of people don't understand that. And I know that you are an energy person. So mm -hmm. you do know exactly what I'm saying and getting people to understand there is a great opportunity for all of us to learn how to really change on a higher level of consciousness, not here. That's flat. Down here, to me, is very flat. And when I say flat, everybody, because I said flat earth, and everybody, uh, these people lean back. And I thought, you don't understand. If you have ever been over, it's alive. When I crossed over without my body, it was alive. The colors were alive. The things looked, I mean, when I came back from there in 1998, I saw everything exactly the way I saw it over there. I didn't come back into this realm. I came back into that same state of mind. So I could see the grass. It talked to me. The birds talked to me. The flowers talked to me. And I remember it took me about two years just to be able to get back into my body on earth. And I talked to Mother Earth. She told me about how it really worked. I remember I was standing in my farm and I went like that to the, you know, I was looking in the uh, sky and I went like that. And it went boom, 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 boom. And I wow. thought, I can't do that, you know. And my family thought I was crazy. They wanted to have me committed. And I knew that's what they wanted to do because I could hear everything they said. 
Because when I had my near-death experience that I remembered in 1998, I remember I could hear everything, even though I was out of my body most of the time in the ER there. I saw myself in the corners of that ER, but I also could see me sitting on the table. And I'd seen that before when I had my near-death experiences with my drowning, because I knew I was in the bottom of a river, but also there were sparkles. And I, what happened to that when I was, a I mean, I think that was when I was 16, I skipped school with my cousin and they threw a blanket, a wood blanket, wool blanket on me, which wool will absorb all the water. So it took me straight down into the river, uh, you know, to the Kentucky River, which is a big river. And I went down to the bottom. I knew I was down at the bottom and I couldn't get out. Now I'm a lifeguard. I am a swimming uh, professional that I used to teach swimming when I was 16 years old. So I was a WSI. So I knew how to get out, but I couldn't get out because it had evoked on me and embraced in me. I couldn't get out. So this is what I heard myself say. Well, I guess this is it. My mother's going to be really mad at my cousin because he pulled me out of school to, you know, to, well, we went past, we, we, we went out of school when we shouldn't have been skipping. And um, I thought he's going to get in so much trouble because I'm going to die. And all of a sudden these twinkles, and I don't know how to explain it any of, it was light, little light beings that came up and they went up underneath and I could see them. And they opened up that um, wool blanket, opened it up, pulled it off of me and said, we're gonna push you up underneath your feet and we're gonna push you up really fast and you're gonna go straight up and you're gonna see. And I remember looking up and I could see the surface of the water and I thought, how can they do this? And they pushed me and I came flying up. Now, when I came up, my cousins were looking for me. Now, I couldn't have been in there any more than five. I don't even think I was five minutes in there. I think it was two or three minutes. And they were asking, where have you been? Why did you not? You know, and I said, I don't know where I've been. <laughs> and uh, they didn't believe me that anything had happened because I was alive. But that's what I'm saying. When you cross over, you don't always know that you are where you are. You're in a different state of mind. Now, I could have, I'm not saying that I died. I don't know what happened to me. I just know that it came up because it's not the first time that's happened to me. It's the second time that's happened to me because when I was 11, same thing happened to me in a lifeguard. I was doing a course to be a lifeguard and I got caught underneath a woman's, ba you know, a girl's base, uh, bath. Uh, bathing suit. It was like a blooming thing. And I'm really having struggling to get, you know, we were trying to be like uh, struggling victims, you know, trying to drown. Mm -hmm. And I was really drowning. And I guess what I did is I went down and the girl realized and my um, teacher realized I'm drowning. They pulled me out, laid me down. And I remember when I came back up, I went, I saw the pearly gates. I saw the pearly gates. And now those gates came in like this, but they opened like that. I've never seen a gate open, but like that. When I got there, it opened up this way. And then as I was getting ready to enter, it stopped and says, this is not your time. You need to go back. And that's when I came back up and said, I went to the pearly gates. And I have a friend that has been with me for 67 years. She was in that class. She said, you know, Jenny, we didn't even pay any attention to you. When you raised up, 
we didn't hear a word you said. And I said, I knew that. Uh, I, my teacher later, I called her many years later she be, because she was a great teacher for me. She was hard, but she was good. And she taught me to be a water safety instructor. At the age of 19, to be a water safety instructor was a big deal. I got to travel and talk about it and what it was like to be a lifeguard and for the state of Kentucky. But I remember she said, I knew you'd had some kind of experience, but we didn't have time to sit down and go through it with you. And I am so sorry, but she said, I knew you'd had something happen to you. And I thought, thank God, because I thought I was crazy. But those kind of things would happen to me. And then when in 1998, it was like a big one. You know, this is really happening. And it really was happening. I mean, I remember hearing the ambulance driver put me into the ambulance in that one. And he literally said, she's not going to make it. And I remember thinking, I can't tell people they can't make it. But I wasn't listening to him's body, his body. I was hearing his mind because I was out of my body. And I, I remember when they pulled me in, uh, pushed in, it was like, oh, you know, there was no light. And I was really mad there's no light because they should be doing vitals on me. I've had a heart attack. And, I, and the woman that was with me, I told her, I said, why don't y'all close the lights down? put the lights down. She said, we never had the lights down. They were always on. She said, you're the one that left the body. And she was a nun and she was an intuitive. She also was sighted. So she saw me leave my body and leave and then came back. She said, so I knew you'd gone and you came back in. So when you have these experiences, it's like they're kind of, you equate it to time, but there's no time that you have you might have only been in there for five or 10 minutes, but it's like eternity. It's, you get information that you would never have. I mean, I was, I was telling a lot of people about how did I know that? It's because I witnessed it all there. Yeah. Let me get this. And uh, it was like, I was confused for quite a while after that, because they asked me that all the time. I said, I was very confused. I said, I could have been over here over there, over here, over that. And you were in a hundred thousand places at one time, but you knew you were okay here. It, it's a different kind of, you know, some people go really high into a higher uh, consciousness, but I was really always in the consciousness around me, even though I was near death. And there's a lot, I, this guy said this, I was on a podcast another day and, um, he said, I've never had anybody that could come in and out and go in and out. I could come in and out, but I've been going in and out of my body as, the, as a small child. I have always been able to do it. I didn't know that's what I was doing because my mother would look at me in the middle of the day and say, you need to get off the clouds, get back in your, and she wasn't getting your body. She just knew I wasn't present in that room. And when you work with kids, and I was a psychiatric social worker, that's what I used to work with children. I knew immediately when they weren't in their body. So I would say, you need to get back in. Same thing when I was a teacher. I mean, on in, in especially in spring, I had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And when the kindergartners would go out into the playground in the early spring and everybody's ready out of winter, you know, we're tired of winter, 
and those kids would be out in that playground. I would see that my sixth graders leave their body and they were out there playing in the kindergarten with the kindergartners. And I did say, come back in your body, come back in your body. Not even being aware at the time, that's what I was bringing them into. You know, I look, these are things after 1998, I had held these, you know, I would have revisions and that's what my company's called, to review it again, to review it from a different state of mind. And I would see it. Oh, that was there. I was doing this. That's what I was saying. I thought, so I haven't been that off. I just wasn't aware that it even existed. Right. And that's, yeah. That's what the near death experiences for me is that it made me realize we can do this and it can be done. Because when I had, when 2019, when I really was paralyzed from the neck down, and I'm telling you, I couldn't even raise a fork. I couldn't eat because I didn't have any energy left in my body at all. I couldn't, I mean, I'd have to eat like this, you know, nothing. Oh, it, it didn't scare me because I'd already had the near death experience in 1998. This would have been 2019. So, but this took me back in 40 years later, I was at a wedding reception and this is true. I met a man at the reception that he invented the MRI, the Tesla in MRI. I sat with him right at that reception wedding and wrote down because I'm teaching and I'm teaching physics in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, understanding. But I knew that was because MRI is all electricity and magnetism. And that's all we've got is right here. That's how you understand it. Now, I didn't understand it 40 years ago, but with this time when I went in there and they wanted, because I'd had two strokes and uh, they didn't know if that was, now I did not go to those, I did not go to the hospital to do those two strokes. I did it right here in my house in front of people. They saw me do it. It took me nine months to put my uh, voice back in. I could hear everything up here, but I couldn't bring it down to my voice. So I had to retrain my mind how to speak again by myself. Now I did it because I'm a healer. I'm inquisitive. I'm a scientist. I wanna know how the body really works. And the only reason why I've had all these different experiences, I really believe the God that I know, the energy that I know was training me to teach others to be really clear who they are and who they can do. And that's why I've been saying this all along. It's, you know, when you go into an MRI, and I mean, I was paralyzed. When I walk, and I remember the technician in there, she looked at me and she, I said, is that a, a Tesla MRI? And she said, oh, yes, it is. Now, and I went, that's all I need to know. And I'd never been in an MRI. I'd only experienced an MRI through the knowledge of the man who invented it with his other, you know, partners. What I don't know exactly what how that transpired, but he knew it. And so I went in and I took it in. I absorbed every bit of the electricity and the magnetism. Now I did hear, I understood that they were hitting that stroke because I've had a stroke right here. And it was like, oh, please, I don't want them to hurt my stroke. And I'd, I knew I'd had two. I just didn't know. I never knew for a fact that I had them. So when they got the MRI back, well, when I got out, I remember I was in light. And the technician had been watching. She was watching me and she was going like this. And she saw me go into light. 
And then I took my fingers and I opened it up and I and I showed them the guy that was picking me up on the wheelchair, the wheelchair and her. I said, let me show you something. And I went like that and the light came out of my hands and they didn't know what to say. Now, in a hospital that hit ramp rampant. I mean, I had doctors in there. I had nurses coming in there. I had now I have a dear friend who is a doctor and she works with me. She is if something happens to me, she knows how to handle it. She knows what I want. She will go in there with me. She does not. She tells them exactly what, you know, if I, if I'm at the point that I'm out, she knows exactly how to handle it. And she knows I don't want to be resonated and you know, brought back in. She knows all of this because I said, I don't want any more. I will do it myself. And so that's what she, she stayed with me for three days. That's her hospital. But the doctors are coming and asking her. And she said, I told you, you'll never meet somebody like her. You don't understand what she's done. And that's when everybody started coming in for three days. I was in there for three days. They told me I'd be there because at that time I was 68 years old. They told me I probably would be there for a couple of weeks. I was there for three days and walked out completely healed. Now I had to work through it, but there was two strokes. Then they said, do you know, you know, they would say to me, Miss Drake, do you know that you've had two major strokes? And we agreed, Jennifer and I agreed not to tell them because they would have said I was crazy, that I did not go to a hospital. I knew exactly. Now the woman that witnessed the first one, she was with me. She was a client and she saw me walk out of my body go right out to that window. And then I came right back and I stayed for two hours sitting in my standing in my kitchen and I redid it in my body. And I mean, it was, I was so, it was, that part was so excruciating. Oh, it was hurt so bad. And then the next day, guess what? I had a radio show and I spoke on the radio show. Now I could talk then and yeah. within 24 hours after that, but I worked every day until for about, almost a year without a voice because they could feel my energy. And wow. I worked all the way. Oh yeah. I mean, I never missed a day. I was on uh, radio shows and I would tell them, right. But I said, let me just show you what it feels like. And I would send the energy out. And they, that's why I knew these are all these experiences that I've had is to make you realize we are really not of this flesh. We are particles of light and we are really amazing beings of light. If I can do this, everybody can do this, but it's a very strong concentration. It's you've got to empty everything out of your mind, everything, because everything in this outside of you are triggers and their distractions. So you will never go in to find out the truth of who you really are. You think this works out here. This is illusional out here. And when you're in illusion, you will be stuck. And that's what we call the matrix, whatever, you know, and that's what it is. We've been programmed. We've been told who we are. And I started looking at it because my family told me who I was. My school told me who I was. My town told me who I was. My church told me who I was. But I remember when I woke up into all of these understandings, I thought, then who am I really then? And that's when God came in. And I worked with Jesus for 18 months, who came in every day and showed me who he was. 
But what he said to me was this, we all can do the same thing I'm doing. So why are you not doing it? And look how we've been programmed about God in general. God is supernatural. God does not have an image of a man and a woman that I met. And I've been over several times. And I've had God come into my house because I remember when the voice of God came in and it was G-O-D. And all of a sudden, this beautiful voice whispered in my ear very gently said, all I am is this, goodness over doubt. Stop doubting yourself. And I thought, that is God. And you can feel that. You can feel if everybody connects to that, there's not a God. Because I was trained that there was going to be a God that always is shaming you or got a finger at you. You know, you better be careful. I mean, I was terrified of God. I was terrified. As a little girl, I was terrified. Even though I saw Jesus, I was still terrified of God because, you know, you've been wrong. You did bad things. And I thought, I'm going to go to hell. Now, this is a little girl. And then you realize how many of us have been programmed because I'm working with my nephew and he's 25 and he had the same experiences. And I look at him, I said, why are you so afraid, Logan? That He said, because God's going to be mad at me. I said, what have you done? I said, do you understand how big this God is, the supernatural God that doesn't, that we're so small in God's thought process that you think we have this kind of power? And he went, well, yeah, because he's mad at us all the time. And I said, not the God that I met. I said, the God that I met was the most kind, you know, and there's no words. This is the whole thing is, the words are not matching of what I experienced. God is a massive being of light, the most, and knows everything, everything. Why? And I mean, I, and if I had Jesus sitting with me for 18 months, I sit with him and I ask him, I said, ask me the question. I want to ask you a question. What about this word, God damn? And I mean, I remember saying it because I wasn't allowed to ever say that because, and Jesus kind of looked at me and said, really? You think that's big? And I thought, what do you mean? That's pretty awful. He said, you're talking about my father, your father. He said, a father would know that you're an innocent child. You don't have any understanding of what it's like to be with the father, truly with the father. You would never even ask that question. It doesn't even exist. It only existed in your thought process. God's got a lot more things to deal with. Father does. And I thought, that's exactly. We're too, we think we're so big that God is this energy that's going to just whip you right up and just smack you up. That God is so much more massive because it covers everything. The grass, the trees, everything. Rocks. Everything exists because of God. And we play it so small. When we we don't really know God. And I mean, I get to go and dance with God. And it's not like the God that, you know, you're dancing with a human. It's you, you're in it. And I know you are like that because I felt you over the phone. I wouldn't have been able to call you the way I did and stay for two hours on that phone. And we, we would have to break and then we come back. 
because that's how it works. And I know that's how it works for you. Because if we don't start talking to people like this, we're in a, 2024 is an eight. I don't know what, you know, and I know you know numerology, but eight to me is abundance. But abundance is not about money. That's a money stream. They've created a stream for we, us just to only acknowledge that. We're huge. We're giants. And when you understand the plasma of where you are, because I live in the plasma. Plasma is like water. It feels like water. It moves. It's got a force. But when you're really out there, you're really in here. It is. It's what it feels like out here. If you're in this, you're out there already into that. And I live in that. I mean, I can just say something. I'm not manifesting anymore. And while I'll tell you, that there's a whole story about baked beans. Uh, and why I say that is because I had my producer was flying in. I have friends that were coming in for Christmas. So I, I usually cook. And I didn't want to. For these four months, I've been with five or 6,000 emails, people answering them, you know, and trying to really juggle something that I wasn't even expecting to even experience. Um, and I thought I'd never be, I was never, I was told I would never be famous. I'll never write a book. I mean, I was given all that. So I was very clear about, you know, I'm not going to be, but here, wham, I'm into this. And so I didn't want to cook. So I had it catered in, and I remember uh, Jeremy was coming in from the plane because he's in Florida, and uh, he uh, said, oh, baked beans. I didn't make the baked beans. I forgot to order them, and they have great baked beans. I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll do it. You know, I've got, I had enough stuff and everything, so I just, okay, I'll do the baked beans. So when I got there to pick up the catering, they, I, it was potato salad, ham, and, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. I've got banana pudding. I mean, it was a big feast because he was going to be here for four days and I had people coming in. So we'd be eating all during that. And then they brought this really hot dish. And I thought, I said, what is it? And he said, it's baked beans. I went, is that ours? Mine? I, I mean, and they said, we don't know. You didn't order it, did you? And I said, yes, I'll take it. And I paid for it. And I walked out with a grin on my face because I did not manifest that. I did not ask for it. I said I was going to do it. And I knew it went like that. And I said, done. Right. That's why I call it baked beans. Because I didn't ask for it. I've asked for things. And they have come in. And But this time, the universe already knew. It already knew what I, I was, the stress of what I was going through, that I didn't want to do anything but to be with these people. These are very close. These are close friends. These are friends that that they know me better than anybody else. And that, you know, we're all kind of, and I'm sure you have those, Sharon, uh, Shannon, mm -hmm. uh, that um, that you trust 100%. Oh, here comes baby. Hi, baby. That's her cat for any of you who are listening yeah. and not watching. Very cute. Uh, that's baby. Uh, but that's what I'm saying is these are very dear, dear friends. And I wanted to have all the goods where we could just sit down and laugh for the whole year, what we've gone through, because they've gone through this with me. I mean, they've watched me go through this and um, we've laughed about it. And I can say things that they they don't take it personal. They, you know, we were laughing and that's the kind that I want. I don't want people in my life that really doesn't get me. You know, you only have five really good friends. And one I have that's been with me for, and truly, 
uh, 67 years since uh, kindergarten all the way up to college. And um, she and I can get mad. We were just talking about this the other day. We can get mad at each other, but we love each other because we know how much we love each other. There's not this distinction that, you know, you're a friend right now because I don't really, you know, I like you, but, you know, I really don't like you. Uh, all of this kind of stuff has to stop. This is why a lot of world is the way it is because people aren't being honest with each other. And the people that I was talking about were very honest. If there's something that's going on, they will call me or I'll call them. We'll put it right on the table, whatever it is, because we don't want anything to be interfering with our, you know, our, our friendship, what it is. It's really a soul friendship. It's more that because we're very straight with each other. And you don't get to see that very often uh, to really trust another human being because they're so... Most of the times, most people don't even know who they really are. So you don't know what they're really saying to you. They look like they're projecting to you what you think they are. But if you're really good, and I know you are because I felt you, you already know what they feel already. Yeah. That's why you're a good, whatever you are doing, you're helping people recognize that because that's the ones I want to be with. These are the people I want to be on a podcast with. This is the ones that, because this is how we change the world. You and I and your subscribers, and because they wouldn't be calling you in if they had some idea who they really are a little bit. And you're just a good teacher to show them that. Oh, thank you for saying that. And I, I think what you just said really illustrates that we're always manifesting. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not doing it intentionally, with the, which I also do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would love to to talk about that a little bit more too, because you and I spoke about what manifesting kind of is and how it works. And as you said, sometimes it's just a thought mm -hmm. or uh, that you weren't asking for it, but it came anyway. So it's almost like a an unintentional prayer. Um, but the other, but I am currently doing a manifesting challenge as well, and I'm finding it's really amazing. Um, one of the exercises was. It's the Gabby Bernstein one, just in case I want to give her a shout out. And one of the exercises was today, ask for a sign, like oh, from your yeah. spirit guides, my fun, this is such a fun game. And you say, she said, just ask spirit to show you something. But first thing that comes to your mind. So I said, I want to see a $5 bill on the ground. And the next day I was at a, like a gathering and I'm talking to this guy and all of a sudden he like has cash in his hand, but all of a sudden I, he just sort of like flings it like for no, like just spontaneously just throws it all on the ground. And I look down and there's a $5 bill. It's not the way I thought. And I, I said, I got to tell you the story, but it wasn't the way I expected it. I thought I was going to walk down the sidewalk and there would be a $5 bill, pick it up, put, put it in my pocket. He literally, like, I don't, I don't even know why he did it. He just went, he goes, did you what not is get a grin on your face? I when did. It's like, oh my God. I yes, because he goes, it was so funny. It was so random. He just goes, what is money? And he just threw it on the ground. Like out of, apropos of nothing, we weren't talking about it. He just was being goofy and threw it on the ground. And I just, I just said, oh yeah, you grin because you know yeah. that was intended for you. Yes. I told I him that. It's, it's very empowering because when I first started getting in that and I, well, I had to leave my family because I was getting a divorce. And so I was with some coworkers that was a teacher with me, but I'm not teaching anymore because I quit my job after that. But I remember 
I walked down to their, you know, they were getting breakfast and they were going to go to work. And I was going to my office that I had created. And I said, I'm going to get flowers today. <laughs> and they went, uh-huh. You know, and they had this kind of like, yeah, okay. I said, no, I'm going to have, I'm going to get flowers. And I remember that, you know, they were like, yeah, okay, you know, because they didn't understand what I was doing. They just thought I was kind of wacky because I had to get a divorce, you know, so I remember I got in the car and I was driving into my office and this tray, this van went by and it was a florist van and it had flowers. I went, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, and I, then the next thing I know, I had a magazine that was sitting in my office and I just picked it up and I opened it up and there was all flowers. And I thought, oh, thank you, thank you like that. So, I mean, and I was just, I mean, that was just like, that's twice today. Now, I always looked at th the third time. Now, I knew that there was going to be three. So, I went and we, I came back and I told him, I said, I saw flowers. Like, you know, they go, yeah. So, we were going to, we went to a restaurant. This is the best. And I was with them and their son. And we were sitting there and we were eating. And next thing I know, a basket full of real flowers comes right back down and lands on my table. Now, this is with somebody that, you know, and it was Peggy, a friend of mine. And she said, I don't know, but I'm in the banquet room in there. And they told us we could take a basket full of flowers. because, And she said, Jenny, your name came up immediately. Go give Jenny. And when I saw you in the restaurant, I brought you the basket of flowers. And they're yours. And I looked at the ones that are sitting there because I started it early that morning. And I looked at him, I said, I told you I was going to get flowers. Yep. And their mouths. That's what I'm saying. Because I knew, and what I was doing, I was bringing it in. I was really bringing it in. Because when you bring it in, see, what we do is this, what I see a lot of clients. They said, this is what I want. Then they say, well, but you know, and then they start doubting it. Then they'll doubt it. Then it doesn't happen. And this, and how I start with a lot of my clients is, with coins. I said, you got three days. All I want you to do is think about coins on the ground, on the in the chair, everywhere. I said, go in. If you feel there's some coins, go into the couch. And I remember a couple of my clients said, that works. It really works. It just started popping up and they're still coming in. I said, that's how you manifest. What's happening when we're doing that? How is that happening? It's a consciousness. It's a stream of consciousness because we have never been really taught how to connect to the higher consciousness, which you're dealing, you're dealing with the straight stream of energy of thought of the higher consciousness of God. And it's a straight direct. And see, but what you do is when you have all these doubts, think about if it's a streamline that's opening up the, the portal of manifestation. And I don't even like to use the word. It's where you're thinking. Because you could be thinking in your dreams and bringing it in. You know, you don't have to be conscious all the time to think about it. Or, I mean, why, why a lot of my clients, this is how I manifest, you know, my clients call me, but they don't call me on the phone. They practice calling me in. to see, And I'll have one, they'll go by and I'll call them immediately. Did you just call me? And they say, oh, it works. I was thinking about you. So what you're doing, it's a thought process, but it's a concentrated thought process of a stream of light that goes straight in, opens everything up. But what mine what my I'm teaching is divine order, divine timing, 
divine plan, make it easy. See, we don't understand that there is a natural order. And if you go out of the order, you're not going to get directed the way you needed that manifestation to take place. It's a really, it's a, it is a true thing. Order, if you're out of order, it's divine order, then everything is going to be chaotic. And this is why a lot of people that my clients, especially, they say, well, why is it that I feel chaotic all the time? I said, because you don't know how to stop chaos. You know how to bring in chaos. You got thousands of thousands of thoughts all around there. And what do you think? How can, how can the universe even understand what you want? Because you've got the same energy on the same thought of everything. So right. it's. And then you don't know how to order it because it gets flying. You know, I have people who come in and they'll say, I've manifested, but it's it's hitting me. I said, because you didn't order the timing. It's all divine order, divine timing, divine plan. That's why everything will come in exactly in the order it needs to give you, not throwing it at you at one time. That's why right. a lot of people stop doing manifestation because they don't know how to clarify that one stream because everything comes in and then they're bad. And they said, I, I've been doing this forever. And I said, that's because you never did it well mm -hmm. but on the surface, but you don't know how to bring, bring it in as a magnetic force. And it is, it's electromagnetic. So the more you bring in the magnetics, but not with any consciousness with it, it's like a beam. If you, but if you've got doubts, you don't really want that. That's not really what you're asking for. And, uh, and especially if you are sending bad energy to somebody, guess what happens? It magnetizes right back in 10 times more, especially if you don't know how to work it. And you've got a lot of people that understand because yours is about magic. Magic is a great thing, but if you misuse that, then it comes back. And oh my gosh, does it? I mean, I've done some things, not, not knowingly. That's the whole thing. That's even worse because if you're not even aware of what you're doing, think of what you're doing. Right. Especially if you're mad. Yeah. And when you talk about divine timing and all of that stuff, I would always assume you don't really have control over that. That's why it's divine timing. So when you're manifesting, a lot of people get impatient. And part yeah. of what I'm... I am practicing is just knowing that it's it's not in your time. So just throw it out there, let it go and let it come. That's and hard. yeah. You, know, you don't want it anyway if it's because it takes more time to hold on to something that's not yours. I mean, a lot of people want this, want this, and I said, but you want. Why don't you ask if it's really yours? Because if you're wanting it, all you're doing is wanting. You'll never bring anything because one only comes in. And if you get it, it won't stay because you only want it. And mm -hmm. then they look at me and they go, where did you come up with that? I said, because it's not the logic that you've been trained. It is the truth. I said, I always put out, I said, I want everything in divine order, divine timing, divine plan and make it easy. If it's not easy, you stop me right then. And I have been known if it's getting hard on something I'm trying to work into a project or something, Immediately I go, okay. And then I do ground and I put all my energy into the ground to the center. And I mean, I expand like a tree so I could be really solidified because my body does not work as fast as my spirit because it's solidified. 
it is matter. So you've got to bring your matter down so you can come up to a to rise to a higher consciousness. But if you're holding on, then you're not getting the full flow of what the consciousness needs. So you got to ground your body. And I asked this uh, one time to God, I said, I used to really hate my mother. <laughs> I mean, and, and this, and I thought, God, I'm so lucky that I did not kill her with my thoughts. And this came in very quick. He said, that's because the plasma at the time when you were young was very thick. So those words of that hate came in slower and they expanded longer. He said, now the consciousness is very fast and very quick. And those who are manifesting have no concept of how fast it's going in. So they better be very careful what they're putting out. This is why people are having bad feelings. They're having doubts. They're having things that are coming in because the energy around us has really, because it's been reset. And if anybody, and I hope you're subscribers, 2012 was a big reset. I felt it. A lot of us felt it, but we didn't even know what that was going to even do because that lost, that that started opening up a lot of portals for people to experiment in it. And this is why you're seeing a lot of things. People got scared. I remember 2012 and I live in a very 900 square foot house. I had people coming in here, 40 to 50 people at a time in 2021, just to be brought into ground to get prepared for 2020, uh, 2012. They were terrified. So we'd already created all this fear. And then when it happened, it wasn't fear. It was like, it was chaos that went everywhere. This is why we're wa walking into a, a flood of energy that we're not even aware that it's even existing. That's why the doubt came in. You know, that's all of this stuff that's been thrown out in the universe. Now it's all starting to come back on all of us. So are you saying it's sort of created by our collective fear, especially yeah. with like election year and all of these, these all world of that events? Collective. And what it is, but you're collecting your mind on a lower consciousness. We, we don't realize that we should be way up here, bringing it down to release this, but because we're still stuck in the flat world of this. Mm -hmm. you now, anything that you think, anything of man, and this is when I, Jesus did explain to me about this. He said, everything that's been touched by the world of man is tainted. So all the books, all the games, everything has been tainted. Your job is to find the taint and release it so you can bring it free back into the energy of truth because it's all been tainted. So everything that's been tainted, you don't even know if it's true or if it's not. This is why there's everybody's confused. This is why people are acting the way they're acting because they have been consciously been driving into these kind of cause the television, the movies, everything, everything, every uh, cell, everything that is sound, it's affecting everything. I mean, I, being a sensitive, I hear everything, I feel everything. I can't even go to the theaters anymore because the light and the sound is, it drives me out of my body. I mean, the last time I was there was uh, Lucy, the movie Lucy. This one I knew who I was. Uh, 
there's a part in there she goes into particles during that time when i was sitting in there with all that sound and everything i went out of my body and i went into particles and i was in the back of the theater on the top of this man it felt like i was right on top of him eating popcorn i could smell it and i could see the back of my head and i'm thinking how am i going to get back in that body and so it took me now the practice is this, I didn't know I was practicing to prepare for that, but I used to have, when I was married, I would have uh, paralyzed moments in sleep. I'd be paralyzed. You know, I'd be thinking I'm asleep, but I'm very much awake, but I felt like I was paralyzed. I'm sure you've had some of the paralysis. And I learned very quickly to be able to stretch my little finger to my husband at the time. And if all I had to do is tap his skin and it would bring me back in. So I knew the girl that was sitting at me in that theater, all I had, and I could feel my little finger and I pushed and I pushed and I finally touched her and I came back in and she said, what's the matter? I said, I've been out of my body. <laughs> and she, they were clients and, you know, client, you know, friends. So they knew, I mean, it took me two hours to get myself back in. I'd never done that. And I can't go into that anymore. That is, it was very traumatizing for me because when I go out, I'm usually sitting at my house or I, I have control of it. Yeah. I, never, I mean, it hit so fast because she went into particles and it's in the movie. She went into particles and that's like saying I was in the particles with her. So I didn't know if I was in the movie, but then I realized because of the smell of the popcorn, I was up here. Yeah. People, I wonder if, now I know people do that because they don't even know they're out of body most of the time. Because kids, you have to say, get in your body. And I have to tell clients, you need to pinch yourself in your body. I had to pinch, my, pinch myself in because if something would be that affected me or it shocked me, I'd go out of my body. Yeah. And I've heard from other people that have had out-of-body experiences. Sometimes it happens while they're driving, or mm -hmm. but somehow the body's still, it's still driving. Oh they still God. can drive. What is that? And all the time. That's how I started out doing good meditation. I would go down and it would drive and I would look down. I said, are you driving? And said, I'm good. Yeah, would, I'm good. And then I would just go out and I'd be up here working out here. Then I'd come back down and check. And I thought, I cannot, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't not. But that's when you become multidimensional. Yeah. Because we're multiple dimensional. You could be thinking here, but be yeah. out there. And I used to do it all the time when you would go to a cocktail party, you're going to a party and you've got a babysitter and you would be in that cocktail and you're drinking, but you already thought about that, uh, that babysitter because you know, you've got your kids in there, something's happened over here. So you're not always at the party. Right. So when you start telling people and I said, the way this works is you've got to stay in the party and not leave. Because what you're doing when you leave, you miss everything in the party that's trying to tell you what you need to know in here. Right. Yeah. And I would love for you to share when you talk about remembering who we are, who are we and why do we come into these bodies? Okay. Um, I knew that, I, and this is going to sound crazy, but you, you'll get it. <laughs> I thought I, I knew I, I knew I was a star. I remember being a star. 
Now, only thing that brought me back into understanding that there is a movie, and movies were a big deal because I started watching movies at the age of 11 because my father only came in on the weekends. And back then they did. And so they would take me to the theater. I, and, and there are some things I should never seen. I'm going to be honest because I was already tainted. You know, you already knew the programs, which that's what I had to do. But there is a movie. Now, this is way, way long. You know, let's go all the way back down to here. When I realized that I was a star is there's a movie called Stardust. And it's about a woman who fell from the stars and came here. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute. I remember something like this. And now everybody said, well, you know, I might've been thinking on the level that, you know, I saw that movie. I didn't ever see that movie. That movie reminded, brought me back to understanding of the real. And I remember, and the next thing I knew, I remember being up in the star. It was almost feeling like you were a bulb, like a light bulb. And it was like, and I said, I really, and I said this to the universe, I really want to learn this down here. I want it. And it was like I unscrewed myself and I fell to it. And then you don't remember anything as you go down. I went through the great void. I remember the void. I remember going into a tube. It's like a tubing. And I went down and then I don't remember anything. And it's like, that's not quite fair. You yeah. know? But that's that's the whole thing is you're supposed to be empty to come in. And then what you do is from that emptiness, that's when you are then created by the people. Around. Well, the first thing, and this is what I tell a lot of women that are getting ready to have babies or thinking about, I said, you better clean your womb out because you're by the, the womb that you're going to be carrying a baby in is going to have all your programs, your parents' programs, your generational programs. You've got your husband's seed in there. That's going to be the same thing. And then you have got just nothing but loads of uh, misunderstandings, uh, you know, programs, things. I said, you better clean that out. And I tell women to do this because I, by me going to, able to see my mother's womb, I realized how she was holding on to me. We do hold to those babies. I wasn't trained as a good mother because I just thought it was just a, you know, no, my son, my first son would talk to me. So I knew that there was, more, but I was scared of it. You can understand, I was never trained to do this. My mother was like me, but she was thought that it was like the devil. So I've got two kinds of thoughts going on. So you've got all of this, you've got her programs, my father's programs. And so when I started to really look at things, I went back to the movies when I was 11 years old. I saw Disney. And then what I noticed, is there's energy in my brain that I have to take out because that's a program. So when I started pulling the programs and then all of a sudden I could go from being so deep inside of my body, I could create and I could pull all the energy out of my body and see it exactly what the programs were. And I just started pulling programs up like this. And I started moving energy and I started expanding energy. Then I started contracting energy. Then I started expanding and then I just broke everything and I knew that I was free. And being free is a whole different understanding of who I really am. We are of God. We have abilities beyond. That's what God brought us down here to teach us how to be God. 
on a higher level of consciousness to see what God really created by seeing the eyes of God. We will never see those eyes because we can't believe it. We've never been told it. And when I what started the whole thing with this video and all of this coming in is because I said, Jesus Christ looked at me and said, I, I've told you, everything I can do, you can do, then why are you not doing it? And that's blasphemy in this land. Mm -hmm. And I broke the boundary because somebody's got to tell the truth. Everything you've been told is a lie. So your job is to find out what the truth is. Dive in. And that's what I was told. I have the Bible. He, the Bible turned into water. And he said, and why would he say dive to it? Because I was a diver. I was a swimmer. And I just dove right in. And I saw the simplicity of what we've been given is so simple that we've made it so, uh, you know, complex that we'll never want. Most people don't want to do it because they say, they think I have to say all this. Well, one, a lot of people say, well, do you have to die? Say, you don't have to die. You've been dying and over and over. Every thought that no longer exists in your mind is death. It's gone. It doesn't exist. So how about emptying in every find out and let's fill up the cup and find out really what the truth is. That's all I want people to find. Because everything they've been told around them, their families, they really don't know if that's really true or not. Because I asked them, I said, well, especially I was molested and I was molested at seven. And I didn't even know it had been even existed until I laid down into myself. And it's almost like being in a, a, a casket. You're laying inside of yourself. This is why the Freemasons do understand this. They make you lay in. Laying in, that means you want to know all your information about why you're here. And I laid down and I went back when I was seven because I had really been, I pushed it way back. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't want to look at is they don't want to look at the traumas, but the traumas is what's created the untruths. They don't even know what the truth was in the first place. And I went back, I was never, I was molested, but I wasn't molested, penetrated molested. I was shocked by molestation. And that's what I have to tell when people come in that's been molested. I said, first of all, was you psychologically molested? Or were you physically molested? Or were you just had somebody touch your hand and you you knew you were being molested right then? See, this is where a lot of therapists, that's why I'm no longer a therapist or I, I work with social work because you only can measure what they can measure you. But the work that I do is beyond measure it because what I'm making them go in and really experiencing it. They don't want you to experience it because then you would find the truth in that experience. But most people are scared to experience because it's too painful. Pain is just your processing through your body because that's holding all your information to find out where you are. That's why you have a body. That's why it's got matter. It's got everything in you and every generation because that's how it's connected. Now you're the one that gets to either break the generations and start fresh or pass it to the next generation. And each generation changes that. They twist it a little bit more. This is why you've got the things because if you go back to the Bible, it's 70 times 70. Where do you think we are now? 70 times 70. We're at the state where we can stop it and release it through us, or you're going to create something even worse.
And that's how you figure it out. That's why I stand with the truth I am because everybody in this town sees me as a cheerleader and I was a little blonde headed girl and I didn't look like I was very smart. In fact, I was very smart, but I did not do well in school because I'm dyslexic. Now, how can somebody that's dyslexic and be able to go to college and do well? Because I taught myself how to reverse everything in my brain. And I've got kids that I've done. I've got a doctor. I have one of my students is a doctor today because she's dyslexic and I taught her how to change it. And she's a very excellent doctor. She teaches college. And she said, you know, if I hadn't known you, I wouldn't have known how to do it. Because in my day, dyslexic, nobody even knew. They just thought I was slow. No, I didn't read the same way. And thank God I don't because most sensitives like me usually are dyslexic because they know both sides. They know how to go back and forth. And that's what saved me with my strokes because I knew how to rewire my brain and reverse it. And that's why I didn't have the problems that I had. And a lot of people want me to teach people how to, because stroke people, they get into there and they go into fear. First of all, you're already in fear. The minute you create fear, you create a new chemical uh, energy that goes through your brain that causes a different electrical cord. See, I wasn't scared. I've never been scared since 1998 about anything that's happened to me. So I see it from a whole different point of view. Now that is if we could just stop everyone in fear, think of what we can do. You can feel that. Yeah. I know I see the light around you. Yeah. How do we, how do we stop fear? You got to do it first in you. Well, the only reason why people want to hear from me is because when I spoke in uh, Jeff Morrow's uh, podcast, mm -hmm. it's I spoke with courage, no fear. And that's, I mean, all these 5,000 or 6,000 emails that are still coming in, they say, you spoke, you know, I spoke it out. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid somebody was going to slap me down or tell me I was wrong because I don't give a sh I don't care. Yeah. Because if I cared, I would never said it in the first place. And I've been saying it for 25 years, the same identical thing. I mean, I even told people in my webinar, I said, folks, I've been saying this for 25 years. And Jeremy says she has been saying it for 20. But because for 15, because I stood up and, and, you know, on stage and said, we can, we're all can do this. Mm -hmm. But because of the fear they've been told they can't, why would they ever try? But give me the ones that are the rebels, the ones who are willing to walk over the line, because I walked over the line. I remember walking over the line of the, you know, the leap of faith. There is a leap of faith. And the first time I did it, I did it off a cliff in the, my mind. Uh, I remember I was sitting in, it was like withering heights, mood kind of, and I could lean down and I could see the ocean. Now, this is all in my mind, okay? But I remember I was like, I was feeling like an, an old woman and decrepit and I couldn't hardly see. And I was trying to walk this path and, and I was going, and Jesus comes out of nowhere and says, just jump. I thought, oh. And I mean, <laughs> oh, so I was still trying. He said, jump. And my ego goes, mm, 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 and I turn around. And I said, 
you. And he does it because I knew who he was. But, and I thought, no. So I went back and then he said, just jump. And that's when it, I turned around. I was a diver. I was a great, great diver. And I also did back to you know, back uh, somersaults. I knew how to do it all. So I backed off with that cliff and I said, I'll show you. I'm going to go back dive. <laughs> I packed it up just like I would have on a board, flipped it. And as I was going around, this voice said, uh-oh. And there was a doubt. That moment I thought, oh, and this hand, and this is too <laughs> hand landed in God's hand. And I mean, it was like a feather floated down. And I landed on a beach of wet sand and I could feel the, I felt everything I was feeling. I felt everything and it was all done in my mind. But, and then the finger of God, Linda, I would say, you see that? And it was a sun. He said, walk through it. And I walked right through the sun. And I knew then, I said, if we can do that, why are we holding back? I did it. But right. I mean, that, and it's powerful because that one moment of doubt could have put me into a state here that I could have lost it because I've already had emotional breakdown when I was 16 years old, when my father was dying. See, I saw a lot of things uh, that people just can't imagine. I saw death ways that people, you know, my father had a brain tumor, but what it was, he had uh, melanoma, which they didn't have in the 60s. And they wanted it because he had a hundred thousand dollar bill in 1960s. A hundred thousand dollars. There's no way. My father, we were going to lose our house, our car. And UK, University of Kentucky, the experimenters, the scientists, came to him and gave him an offer that he couldn't refuse. And they paid a hundred thousand dollar bill as long as he could be. They could experiment on him, and may he let them. And I sat and watched it. And then I saw the, the damage that they had done and then riding home and he almost killed my mother and I. So, but I had to look at all of this and I was angry. I was, I was very angry. I was very, I did not like doctors. I mean, I look back at all the things I was so programmed because of what I experienced. See, those were experiences, but I didn't have enough understanding about how those experiences worked in the spirit. I only knew it from the earth level, but when I got the opportunity to come out of the near death experiences or the out of body experiences, I saw my father died for me to be better, to be able to help people go through death that they would never have been able to reach because you were too scared here in the earth. I saw it from a spiritual element that God gave, I wasn't a victim. I was truly given a gift to see the greatness in death. It wasn't horrible. And then when I got to see, you know, just seeing things from a whole different, like with my best friend who was dying, I wanted her to live. And Jesus said, well, you know, I've taken care of it. And she ended up dying. So I went to hell because of that thinking. And then when I finally had my near death experience, Jesus showed me, he said, you, you would have, if I followed what you wanted, you would have put them in prison because she was going to die because of her, her injury. She would have never, she was in a car accident, but her parents would have been there in the jail watching her die. 
If I had listened to you, I did exactly what I needed to, to get, let her go so they would find the greatness, what God really is for her. And I went, oh my gosh. See, because you're thinking so small here that you can only see it this way. When you open it up to the higher consciousness, why would we not want that? Because nobody dies anyway. But what we need to die is we need to die the thoughts that were programmed that are no longer alive within. That's what we do, is we are alive right now, this moment. And the more life you can bring in, the more colors you can bring in, the more truth you can bring in, we're going to change the world. And that's the only way. Because you'll never beat this. You, if you're going to try to work their, their way on that line, you'll never make it. I tried. I, you know, I live in a different world than they do. And that's why a lot of people, and it hurts. I'm not going to say it. This is not an easy thing to walk out of a, another world. And you yeah. know, I'm walking, I mean, I walked out of that world because I have some really lot of people that really think that I'm crazy as hell. And I mean, and they are, you know, they, they tolerate See, and I won't, I don't even get involved anymore because I don't have to anymore. I don't have to tolerate anything. I'm very aware, you know, aware of what I'm doing and who I am. And you can feel me. And if I can be felt, then I can change the world just by walking into a room like this. And that's what people want to hear is a leader. I don't want to be a leader. I want them to lead themselves through the promised land. That's exactly what it is. But see, they're so programmed depression. You know, all depression is pushing down the truth. You don't want to look at the truth. That's why you push everything down. And that's why you get diseased because you don't want to look at the truth. And the truth is the only thing that's going to set anybody free. And I know that for a fact, I live it. And I've done drugs. I've done every, you know, I, and I mean, Jeremy said, I cannot believe you went on there and you talked. I said, what does it matter anymore if I yeah. smoked marijuana, if I did something in my past? What does it matter? It only matters is right now. What do you feel right now? And if your subscribers feel this, they need to be calling you and getting an appointment and that you need to raise their frequency because that's the only way we're going to do it is with people like us. Amen. Yes. And that's why I, that's why I go to people that I touch, that I understand. I, I'm not, see, I'm not, I've drawn a couple really big ones. The guy didn't even understand what I was doing. He was still, he had, I was just his 71,000 uh, in NDE. And it was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I just com completely went off script and I do this and it's, ah, what is she doing? You know? Because I don't care anymore what they want. I'm going to do what I feel. Yeah, I, I love that. Just general advice. I think that's, uh, as we kind of come to the end of this conversation, I think that's really important about, it's really been a theme in my life too, is speak your truth mm -hmm. authentically, how yeah. important that is. Mm -hmm. And I think we we are so conditioned to, please other people to say what we think people want to hear. And it's, yes. Yeah. And I'm very guilty of that. And uh, there is a 12 step saying, 
when the people stop pleasing, the people aren't pleased. Oh, and yeah, yeah, I'm starting to to sort of embrace yeah, and that. People that you thought really loved you, uh, but they loved you because you were a yes person. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember thinking, well, that, well, that's why I left my sons and my family because they I wasn't following the rules. And when you don't right. follow the rules, they want the rule breaker out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's some there's some wonderful things because uh, after my sons, my sons came back after 27 years, really connecting. And the last Christmas, that was what that was all about, was the meeting of the first time in many, many Christmases that we there was not going to be a lot of I don't want gifts. I don't want to do that. All I want is honesty. And we spent the whole Christmas evening or the time that we had being honest. Now, this Christmas came in and my oldest son bought me a Fitbit. I don't wear watches. I don't wear anything electrical because it's very, I'm too sensitive. And now my son doesn't believe any of this. Okay. He doesn't believe anything I say. He just knows I'm his mother. All right. Yeah. So he gets this and his wife said, she, she knew. And I was right there at that moment. I could have lied and said, oh, thank you. And yeah. that passed it on to somebody else. And it was $160. And usually only gave me $100. So, you know, you just knew all this. And I sat there and, and it, for a moment. And then I looked at him and I knew because what I said to him, I said, all you do is you shop just to spend $100 to give me because I'm your mother. But it's not because you're obligated because I'm your mother and this is Christmas. And I said, I don't want an obligation anymore from anybody. If you don't want to give me a gift, don't give me a gift. You want to give me $100, give me $100. do not give me anything. All I want is your honesty and no obligation. So he came in, you know, and he was, he really, you could tell he had really, really uh, thought about it this watch, what he yeah. wanted to give me. And I could see, I could feel it because he became a child because yeah. he couldn't wait for his mother to open that present. Oh, yeah. I know. There you go. And I said, then I thought, oh. and so I opened it up. I had a feeling what it was. And I went, I'm going to have to tell you something that's going to hurt your feelings. And he went, and I could see the child in him. Yeah. said, but this is the agreement that we had. And I said, the agreement was we were going to be honest. And I said, I'm going to be honest. I can't wear this because electrically it will bother me. And I said, and if you've listened to any of my videos, you'll hear that even my clients are not wearing theirs because I said, you're in a cloud, but you don't want to hear this. You don't want to understand the electricity of what it is. I said, but that's fine. But I want you to know. And I, and he was, and I said, it's, but I felt it. And I said, Brian, I felt it. That's more important for me. Yeah. I felt it. And I said, and I appreciate the work you did. And he still was, so I called him again that night. And he said, mom, I get it. I now understand you're right. I should have probably done a little bit deeper mm -hmm. thought because you are different. You're not like all of us. That's oh. a big girl. Yeah. And, but to have to have to say it, just watch him because he was he was lit up like a child because oh I found something for my mother you know yeah I could feel that that's the first time in twenty seven years girl and I have held that accountability with them for twenty seven years they're not going to talk to me they tried to be mean to me they tried to get on another radio show and oh you can imagine just to sit in that room and be honest 
I've learned. I mean, I've, I've loved. I've, I've, I've accomplished something on the universe that most people can't because I was persistent. And my son's family got it. And my other son has never given me anything for 27. And he gave me $250. And I was like, and I said, this isn't about money. Mm. It's about that you cared enough. And I mean, tears just rode. And he's whining. And I said, no, he wouldn't even talk to me for 15 years, even in text. So that's an accomplishment beyond. Yeah. That's yeah. right there. I, I usually end by asking, what do you want people to know? But I feel like you just answered it already. As yeah. you do, you anticipated, um, you know, telepathically, psychically. So I really just want to thank you so much, Ginny, uh -huh. for being here and for sharing your insights and your love with me, with uh -huh. my listeners. It's so thank great you. to connect with you. You're just such a sweetheart and so interesting and so uh, insightful. And I know that there's a lot of wisdom that people are going to take from this. and yeah. Uh, I will have links to your services below so that I know you, you're inundated, inundated with requests and messages. So if you do reach out to Ginny, just be patient. She's got a lot of people reaching out to her. Um, just respect her boundaries, but also I know that she's here to help in whatever way she can. So um, thank you again, Virginia Drake, for joining me and for being my new friend. Thank you. And you've been a delight. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Perfect, Jenny.